Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. So hey guys, Anna David with the After Party Pod, podcast all about addiction and recovery and all those other things, which hopefully you know because you downloaded this. If you're new to the show, I'm so glad you're here. I am getting new listeners lately because the numbers have grown and I'm going to credit you guys who have been telling your friends about this podcast and also these great guests that I've been getting. So first thing I want to tell you is that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod. Audible is super, super awesome. I just actually talked to them because I'm going to be uh, doing uh, recording one of my Kindle singles. Uh, one of them is already available uh, called Animal Attraction, but I'm going to be recording my second one. And so I'm going to say, go and get that, but don't go and get that because that's not available yet. And besides, that's a Kindle single and it costs less money. Money, And if you want the most bang for your buck, you should get like a 60-hour book or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of great books on there. Have you read The Night of the Gun by David Carr? Awesome addiction book. He talks about using drugs with Tom Arnold. That's not at all the most interesting thing in there. The interesting thing is that he goes back and he interviews all the people that uh, are involved in the anecdotes that he tells himself and others about his years using. And he finds out how absolutely differently he remembers them from how they actually took place. Fascinating book. He's an amazing writer. So go get that or whatever else you want, again, by going to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod. You are helping this show if you do that. You're also helping the show if you go and give it a five-star review on the old iTunes and subscribe. I can't tell you what a difference it makes. Uh, you know, I, I do these shows hoping that as many people as possible can hear them and that is the best way for people to do that. I appreciate your emails, by the way. I've been getting some of the loveliest emails imaginable from you guys and hearing that you're liking the sound quality. So that is all good. Have a great guest for you today. But before we get into that, what do I wanna say? I wanna tell you guys how I am. And that is that as well, I took a week off, which is for a self-claimed and also diagnosed by everyone who knows me workaholic was a really big deal because I do take quote unquote vacations but I basically what I mean by that is that I work from a different place whether that is uh, Hawaii or Ojai or wherever New York 
Um, that's what I mean. And, and I had really kind of hit a wall where I realized I had to stop. And I did. And here's something interesting. I had to work really hard to, to take that vacation because um, it's like I don't really have one of those jobs where you can just sort of take a week off and, and just pick it back up again because I run this website after party chat, I hope you read it, where we put, you know, we have a certain number of posts every day and I'm responsible for editing all of them. So I kind of had to work like a crazy person in order to get it ready for me to go. And that, so I was tired. And, but here's the interesting thing. I did nothing. I went with my mom to Big Sur and Pebble Beach, which was lovely and, um, such a nice place in Big Sur I couldn't get cell reception or Wi-Fi I'm not gonna lie I did panic a little bit I was excited to get it back I actually um, if you are such a faithful listener of this podcast that you noticed I wasn't able to post the Alonzo Bodden podcast when I normally do which I mean probably only worried me but it was fine. I literally almost posted it from the road while driving Highway 1, which is not recommended because it's very windy. But here's the interesting thing I learned, and I don't know if you guys are sort of, you know, keep yourselves overly busy like I do because it is almost an addiction. You know, it's just a way to sort of not have to, you know, possibly feel bad. Um, but I did nothing. I did nothing. I left on a Monday. I did nothing the weekend before. I slept. I read. I meditated. Probably took a couple showers. Not even sure about that. Then I went to Pebble Beach and Big Sur, as mentioned, where I continued to do nothing. I just did it with my mom. We went shopping. We went to a spa. We hung out. We went to this really cool place. It's called the Henry Miller Memorial Library, um, right on the you know on the road uh, near Nepente. If you guys know that place, it's a beautiful uh, restaurant out in Big Sur. And um, you, it's not a bookstore. I mean, it's not a library. It's a bookstore, and it was it was Henry Miller's best friend. And he decided when he died, he was going to leave this house to be you know an, an ode to Henry Miller, and it's really cool. I mean, they only sell like nine books besides Henry Miller books, but my mom and I hung out there and that was great. And so my point is this, then I came back on a Friday thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be raring to go. I've been cooped up doing nothing. I just did nothing over the weekend. Nothing. I went to a farmer's market, went to a meeting, worked out, hung out. And I was thinking as I was doing nothing yesterday and I was still really tired. Maybe this like unplugging and taking time off thing is overrated because all it's doing is making me more tired. And will I never, you know, get it back? Um, And then I woke up this morning and I was, I feel completely different about work. I feel, I mean, whatever, this is what everyone else, you guys know this, like completely re-energized, completely raring to go, like everything's under control as opposed to, you know, I'm swimming and drowning. So I guess this was going to be a an intro focused on what's the point of unplugging and instead it's become an intro focused on try unplugging. You heard it here, not first, not second, but you know, one millionth. Anyway, moving on to today's guest. He's such a sweetheart. His name is Caleb Bacon. You may know him because he has a very successful podcast called The Man Show. He's also a staff writer on Sullivan and Son, 
and he is sober uh, over six years, I believe almost seven, maybe over seven. He talks about it in the, in the interview. And I've known him for about, I want to say I met him when he was a year sober, and he was writing for LAist and a couple other places, and really newly sober and trying to bring a lot of awareness to addiction and recovery, and I admire that a lot. And he's just a genuinely good guy. He talks in this interview about being so angry that he punches a bus stop. That's a spoiler alert, but not really. And it's impossible to picture. He's very tall. He's kind of got that gentle giant uh, quality to him. And this was just a really good conversation. We were very mellow. We were very relaxed. I possibly credit my relaxation to this rejuvenating vacation I just told you about. And um, I think you guys are going to like it. So here you go, Kayla Bacon. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Oh my God. So yeah. Whoa, Caleb. Was that the longest kind of pre-interview experience you've ever had? I felt like that was a job interview of uh, (laughs) for me being the after-party chat sound tech. Listeners, know that Caleb Bacon is not only a charming man that you're about to learn. You're going to learn this, but what the fuck? We just went through sound problems. Not sound problems. I want to clarify. Potential sound improvements that may have caused a double meltdown. Sure. Single meltdown for sure. Like I've grown a full beard since I since I first got here. I had three birthdays since you got here. I didn't get you three presents. I know. Three birthdays and three sober birthdays. Six presents, I would say. One day at a time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, we're here. It feels like a journey. Much like sobriety. It's a good it's a good <laughs> metaphor, right? Hi, Caleb. Hey, Anna, I'm great pretending. To see you. Yeah, I'm pretending we didn't I, just spend I an just hour walked together. in. Well, you are using the digital audio recorder that I suggested. No, but technically, and, I don't think. Okay, because I know that Paul Gilmartin suggested one, and and then it was too confusing for me, and so then yes, you suggested this. Yeah, and I went and did it. Yeah. Um, is that you ringing? Yeah. You would never be so unprofessional. I mean, you know more about sound, than, according to what I just experienced, more than anyone I've ever met. I, yeah, I know like the bare minimum to do like a decent sounding podcast, but uh, listeners, go go listen to his podcast. I'm I'm assuming it's gloriously perfect. Okay, because you have had your podcast for how long now? Well, I had another podcast before that, the Gentleman's Club. Club. Yeah, yes. and then I, I did college radio before that. Okay, let's but, talk. Let's go all the way back. Okay, where did? Okay, I'm gonna pretend that I know nothing. Okay, where did you go to college? State University of New York at Albany. Okay, okay. So because you grew up there, that's where I grew up. And, nice. And I, I screwed around in high school, and my parents were just like, "We're not going to pay a lot of money for you to go screw around at some college." They knew you were screwing around. Well, I had bad grades. How bad is bad? Well, I was like the classic underachiever. Yes. Who's like teachers would always call my parents and say. Uh, he's a bright kid, he's smart when he applies himself, but he just doesn't give a crap. Right. And so, like, I had, like, an 80 average. That's not a bad student. Uh, uh, I think I think it was bad for me, because when I applied myself, they're like, oh, this is a different kid. 
see that's so okay this is why i find this interesting i was just telling somebody this my perception and the standards i hold myself to are so ludicrous and i do think this is alcoholic because basically i'll be like i was a horrible student i went to a horrible college and people ask and they're they go god where did you go to school and i'm at trinity college and they go that's a great school and in my brain it's horrific and my bees were horrifying and part of that was my family standards but part of it is just the way I believe alcoholics see things as we're just our expectations of ourselves and other people are so high sure because I don't think AD is I think that most would say wow that's a pretty good student I I had an 80 average but like a 0% effort Okay, because I was making a lot of effort myself, I but I was they were just ineffective efforts. You were consciously not making an effort, right? Yeah, that, that was all. Because you were bored. Uh, I like there's those like logical reasons of yes, like school is kind of boring. Yeah. But but then it's also I just like didn't I didn't care like I, I didn't have an interest in applying myself. I, like there were no, there was like never a class where I'm like, oh, this is um, this is a fun subject, and I would I would like to learn more on my own time. Like, like teacher, recommend me a book. Like, what were you interested in then? I like computers. Uh huh. I like weightlifting. I like drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like music. Mm-hmm. Like that was, like, and none of that was in school. Right. Right. I mean, music. I'd like to listen to Beastie Boys. Right, they weren't teaching you about... The Beastie Boys did not teach me. No, no. Um, Okay, and so, interesting. So, you... I was just talking to somebody about this also. Don't you wish that they had said in school, here are the things you're going to really wish later that, you know, geometry, don't even worry about it. Um, You know, chemistry, not important. History, yes, pay attention here. English, pay attention, but don't worry about these stupid papers you're writing because that is the opposite of what you're going to do later if you want to be a writer. Well, I wish I did that with Spanish because I moved to California and right. it's like, oh man, I can order at a taco <laughs> truck, but it'd be helpful to know more. See, I studied French. I wish they had told me how useless that was going to be. There's no taco trucks for grapes. No. I mean, there are, but, you know, not very useful in California. Well, what I, what I wish, and I'm totally serious about this, uh-huh. is that... Teachers pulled me aside. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have listened, but mm-hmm. like here's here's what I wish they said was, you know what? Most of the stuff we're teaching doesn't matter, but what we're teaching you is how to work hard, how to focus on doing stuff you don't want to do, because when you get out into the workforce, you're gonna have to get good at doing stuff you don't want to do, so that hopefully you can do the stuff you want to do. Okay. And then when you get to the stuff you want to do, you'll have like a great work ethic and. Uh, know how to self-motivate to write more scripts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that would have been... Because I think that's useless, too, because I think that a work ethic is something you develop that has nothing to do... Here, you have a very high work ethic. You are a very successful TV writer. You have this podcast. It's very successful. Clearly, your work ethic is impressive, and yet you are making absolutely no effort. So it doesn't. I don't think it applies. I don't mean to be argumentative for the yeah. sake of being argumentative. No, no, I know. I and thank you for calling me very successful. But you are. Yeah, I'm doing like the thing I want to do. Yeah. Getting paid and yeah. I live in an apartment with a pool. Yeah. Because I'm not dirty. 
Right, that's a dream it's, come true. It is, yeah. It is in I the valley, it. but... I love it. But it's... it's even not, that's part of the dream. It's not the deep valley. No, no, no. It's close to here. True, true. So, okay, so I, there you were in New York. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a younger brother. You have a younger brother. And you were not applying yourself, and you were interested in drinking. When did you first drink? Uh, my first year of drunk was in eighth grade. Okay. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Was it uh, from the parents' liquor cabinet? Yeah, my, yeah, my parents, like, my parents are not alcoholics, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, as, as we say, normies, mm-hmm. like, they, it's not like, uh, sure, they didn't drink, but dad was always smoking a joint, like, it, it was just nothing like that. Right. Like, they'd have a few drinks here and there, not really into it, but I, I think it's like a white people thing that, uh... Are they black? Uh, no, no, my parents, my parents are white, <laughs> and so, like, I don't know, it seems like all these white people always get each other... Like, Alcohol, like uh, for Christmas, they do. Yeah, and then I don't know where I'm from. Okay, they give like bottles of scotch. Yeah, I don't know why I say that's a white people thing. I, I don't even know if it's a thing, and I don't know if it was. Okay, go on. All right, so, go on. So I, I, Poking I holes sound, in everything you've said. I sound, well, I sound racist already, and I'm like, <laughs> ah, that's not what I. Was I'm gonna going joke for. about your parents being black, so that's true. Yeah, they're yeah, Caleb is very white. I could have I could have two black adopted parents, but it's I adopted. True. It's true. I, I mean, there, I know some black Jews that are adopted. Yeah. Okay. Good. We're both racist. Go yeah. on. Okay. So, or tied. Okay. And so my parents had this like, big liquor cabinet mm-hmm. that had like all these dusty bottles. Right. In it with alcohol, and right? And those were like the last dusty alcohol bottles I would ever see. Right. So I remember getting like this empty Gatorade bottle, like sneaking in there, yeah, putting like, oh, they'll not, they won't notice a little glug of this, a little glug of that, yeah. I made this like Gatorade container of like the grossest of mixed drink yeah. of all time, and I, I went to this party at a kid in my neighborhood's house, and his parents were gone, and and I get to the door, he's like, hey, you gotta pay for beer if you're drinking. Like I don't no, I brought my own drink. Right. And I pull out this like yellow gross Gatorade <laughs> and he's like, Oh, you got a tornado. I was like, Yeah yeah, yeah, I got a tornado. I, I didn't even know what that was. I was what like, a oh. savvy kid this was. Yeah, no, this kid is he in the rooms? I hope. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I haven't I haven't kept track with him. Uh of him. So I got I got shit-faced off of this disgusting substance. Puking is involved in this night. I, I, I didn't puke, actually. It's amazing. I, I had a... My, my constitution would get a lot weaker, mm-hmm. and my, my drinking wrecked my stomach. What does that mean? Uh, I later found out in sobriety that I had a food allergy to some of the main ingredients in beer. Oh, wow. So I was... Nice. I don't want to get gross, but... Okay, it, so those things uh, happen all the time. My stomach was not happy with. Did my you? Were you da- but like when you got sober, did the doctor say, "Oh my God, this t- the tissue in your stomach or whatever"? Uh, the doctor basically said, "I said, hey, my my stomach's not a problem anymore." He's like, "All right, don't drink, you'll be fine." Right. Okay. It was kind of that. Simple did you go to the doctor for stomach issues while you were drinking? No, okay. no, because like my answer for that was like to just drink more and yeah. not worry about it. You yeah, of course. Yeah. Health solutions, pre sobriety. That that first that first drunk was just so much fun. It was like this adventure. But here's what's interesting: you did this on your own. Very few people talk about that. I think a lot of people say, "My friend and I were in front of my parents' liquor cabinet." Do you know what I mean? You I, came I up with this all on your own. Yeah. I, I I don't know why. Like I always had this thing in my head. Maybe it was TV. 
films, but I knew alcohol was going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I couldn't wait. Right. And, like, yeah, I had a sip of my dad's beer here and there, but I was, I was like, just waiting for the time where I didn't have to be around my family and I could be a 13-year-old kid, like, out, uh, out just getting plowed. Why did you want to be away from your family? Because <laughs> I would get in trouble if I was drunk around them. That's oh, I see, I see. Yeah, no, my, my family life was pretty good right. growing up. Right, the Bacons are good people. Yeah, 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 they are good people. So, okay, so you have this night um, lying about your drink, having the best time ever, correct? Yeah, yeah, and didn't get caught. And how did you feel? Well, what I, like, for me, what I noticed about it was, it, it was, uh, it was like I got to have, like, my own little movie. Mm-hmm. Like, my, like, going to this party, and they were thinking I was cool because I brought my own mm-hmm. gross concoction. Mm-hmm. Um, we, like, heard something outside, and someone's like, oh, the cops are here. And we're, like, in eighth grade, and it was probably, like, 9.30 at night. Right. And there were no cops. Right. So me and a friend were like running around my neighborhood and just kind of walking like our drunk off a little bit before I had to go home and his mom picked him up from my place. Mm-hmm. And my, I said like goodnight to my parents and as I was saying goodnight to my parents, my, my friend was in the bathroom that had an adjoining wall to their room mm-hmm. and as he was peeing, he fell back into the tub. Mm-hmm. And we still didn't get in trouble. It was like the loudest thud. And I was like, oh, he's just a silly goose. Right, right. And so I had this, like, great, great time. Right. And so suddenly I was like, whoa, life could be way better than just hanging out watching basketball or whatever else I did. Right. So how often did you drink after that? Uh, I didn't, like, I didn't pursue it like crazy. Mm -hmm. But I looked forward to getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Whenever I could, mm-hmm. and so that was mostly on the weekends. And then, then I was fifteen. I got my first fake ID. How'd you get it? My friend and I made it on his computer using Microsoft Paint. Oh my god! Yeah. Did that actually work? That ID? It did. And we used my sophomore yearbook picture and like cut it out of like my student ID and put it on there. And so we could go down to the hood and show I. Like the liquor stores didn't really care. Right, you clearly they didn't care something. if they were allowing that one. Yeah, I was like six foot tall, but I was, was super baby faced. Right, you're still baby faced. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I don't buy alcohol now, but if you I did, I'd probably get carded. You think? Uh, probably. Yeah, you could. Um. So. Um. Because I had a fake ID, by the way. Um. But I did. I went way more hardcore. I bought a fake birth certificate in my name, born like four years earlier, went Whoa. to the DMV and got it. I mean, that's serious dedication. If I, if I had to do that, I might have. But I didn't right. have to, but I was like, this will work. Look, you went to Trinity College. You're smart, man. You <laughs> do stuff thoroughly. What's funny is I went and got it in Connecticut first because I was scared, you know, California DMV, whatever. I figured mm-hmm. it was more, more mellow in Connecticut. And I remember I brought my friend. I went up, filled out the form. I was shaking. Yeah. I told my parents I was doing this because I was like, you're going to need to bail me out if I, you know. And they were like, whatever. And I filled it out. We go and we sit down. They were like, it worked. It worked. And then they, they're like, uh, excuse me, Miss David, can you please come up here? And I, I'm like, it's over. Okay, slap the cuffs on me. And they're like, you can't put a P.O. box as an address. <laughs> and so, and then I walked out with it. And then later I got a California one. Nice. Yeah. Do you still have it? 
Uh, no, I don't even think I managed to keep it until before I was 21. I, you know, I'm not great with, I was good at losing things. Okay, you put the work in, but you just couldn't keep it. I, I, look, it served me for many nights yeah. that I was grateful for. So, okay, so you have this shitty fake ID. I'm sorry, I'm ju- and, you know, judging, because look, listen to what it, I have. It was a shitty fake ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we laminated it, like right. someone's job who had a laminator. Right, and so and so you were out there drinking, you drank all through high school, I'm assuming. I did, but I got, I had, like, another addiction back then, which was weightlifting. Okay. And I, I was, I was, like, the... First of my friends to get tall and big and pubescent, Mm -hmm. but I was not coordinated. Mm -hmm. So playing team sports, and I didn't have like a like a killer edge to knock some fool out on the football field. Right. But I but I was good at like training Mm -hmm. for the sports I played. Mm -hmm. And then as I was like getting into weightlifting, I was like, I like this better than football and basketball. So how would I just do that? So I became like I got so into it, became like the strongest kid in my school, and I was not to brag, mm-hmm. uh, but it, but it got to it got to where there were some times where I wouldn't drink for a while because of how I was training. Wow! But then there was other times where it was like every every weekend or sometimes after school. And so and so you just you were doing this like every day the weight training. And do you think it was an addiction? Yeah, yeah. I got before I finished high school. I had three personal training certifications. Oh my god! Yeah, I got. I wasn't a trainer, but I got so into learning about all right. of it. So, and that was also one of the things with my grades. Like, I got to say to my parents, like, "Hey, you see, I'm smart, and I'm doing some cool stuff." And I, I like wrote some articles as like a high school student for like Muscle magazines. Okay, I'm just going to argue with one argument you used against your parents, which is that who says trainers are smart? Uh, I guess if they, they're doing it in high school. If they're in high school. Okay. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I've just yeah. met some not terribly brilliant trainers. Trainers, if you're listening, you are totally the exception, and I'm being judgmental. For sure. Okay, go on. And those trainers were probably not in high school. They were probably not in high school. I know they were not in yeah. high school. Um, so you were doing, you got, and, and so were you obsessed with it? Was it dangerous? Were you tortured by it? I was obsessed with it. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't dangerous, but I decided, because I, I had gotten so strong when I was about 19 in college, I was like, I should I should do, like, some weightlifting competition oh my God. and, like, make it a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I got injured mm-hmm. because of that. I got tendonitis in my arm. And then I I had to, like stop training for a while and that was when like drinking picked up a mm-hmm. lot more because mm-hmm. then it was like okay the weightlifting's gone it's party time right and so you then were there were still no consequences to your drinking at this point not much like i got i got caught smoking pot when i was 14 mm-hmm. i got like suspended from school oh, you got caught at school gra- i had a i had a pipe on me uh-huh yeah and they, you can't do that. No. Yeah, my parents grounded me for a long time, and mm-hmm. but I, I didn't really get in trouble too much. Uh, and I was going, and I wasn't really into drugs too much, mm-hmm. but I did get caught leaving like an instant message up on like a computer at home, and which talked about like snorting Ritalin. Oh and God! My, my parents weren't too happy when they saw that. Were you prescribed Ritalin? No. Somebody else was. Yeah, somebody else was. And you had snorted it. Yeah. Um, and, and your parents, did they even know what that meant? Uh, not really, but they knew it was it wasn't sketchy. Good. Yeah. Yeah. 
So okay, so you so you go to college. Um, you're I'm assuming screwing around in college, but yet you're doing the radio station. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, graduated with like a two point four GPA. Mm, that's not good. No, that's not good. Yeah. But that was my plan was to because my parents said we're not going to pay a lot of money if you go to college if you're just going to screw around. I'm like, all right, I'll show you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm smart. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go to the local university. I'm gonna get my grades up. Then I'm gonna transfer somewhere awesome. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so my grades were good initially. Mm-hmm. And then I got comfortable and was like, ah, oh, the school's fine. Okay. So my my highest GPA in college was my first semester. Right. And it went down every semester. Yeah. In, incrementally, like yeah. I, I couldn't have tried to do that. Like each one lower than the next. Right. Right. And were you studying English? Communications. Communications. Yeah. Um, and so you, but you did say, hey, I'm going to go over to the radio station. I'm going to see what I can do there. Yeah, I was uh, doing stuff at the radio station, had a show, eventually ran the radio station. I was also throwing raves. Uh-huh. And that was, that was all a lot of fun. There were raves in, in, in this part of New York? Yeah, not good ones. Right. Yeah. So you would rent out a space? Yeah. That's very industrious. It was, it was, yeah. Would run out of space, you know, get some get some equipment and lights and, mm-hmm. and DJs, and it was fun. Okay. It was really hard, though, because yeah. other people like you're going to play raves with are usually not the most together people. It's amazing raves ever happen at all, in a way. It is. Yeah, it, absolutely. So, okay, yeah, I'd like to point out I was doing none of this in college. I mean, that was sort of beyond me. I don't even think they had a radio station at Trinity, you know, for all of its excellence. I don't think they had things like that. So, okay, so you graduate, and you come directly here? I went to um, the, the gal I was dating at the time had uh-huh. another semester mm-hmm. to go in school, and so she was able to do it abroad. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the Backpack Europe thing, mm-hmm. but I'm not like a, I don't know, I need like not to be dirty yeah. all the time. Like, yeah. Like, the backpacking thing, I like it in, like, the romantic ideal, but I was like, how about you go to school somewhere, and I'll just hang out go there. there, too. Yeah. Yeah, and so we went to Manchester, England, uh-huh. and I had some I had some friends there, too, and so I went to, I got my own apartment, she lived on campus, and I, like, just partied for a whole semester, Yeah, and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I lived in England my junior year, and that was, I mean, the pubs did close at 11, which was annoying. But Manchester's not the, I mean, it's not the sunniest place to hang out. It's not. Um, it was okay when I was there, though, for fall of 03. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a, I loved it. It was great. Mm-hmm. Great, cool experience. Mm-hmm. Traveled around Europe mm-hmm. a little bit, using that as like a home base. And yeah. I worked one day at a shoe store mm-hmm. and then just never went back. Like, it was, it was too much. Right. Got in the way of me just doing whatever I wanted to do. It's like me with the fake ID. You could get it, but you couldn't keep it. That's Yeah, yeah I yeah. gave it away. So, okay, and so then you come back to the United States, mm-hmm. and you were like, I'm going to go knock them dead in Hollywood. My, I worked for Red Bull in college. Okay. And I, had, I had a really cool job for Red Bull, and it was, it was with, like, marketing. And so with Red Bull growing really mm-hmm. fast... There was, like, lots of cool events I got to go to all over the Northeast and got to go to, like, business meetings and, you know, drive those funky little Red Bull mm-hmm. cars and, like, do, do, like, adult stuff. Yeah. But, but I got to see that these 
the guys who I worked with and who were my bosses were adults who had cool, fun jobs. Yeah. We didn't have to wear suits and ties. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to do what they do. Right. Not necessarily for Red Bull, but like have a life where I could do something fun. And, and I think when you're from Albany, New York, which is a government city where a lot of people have like crappy government jobs where nobody really knows what anyone does. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tempt before I came out here at the Bureau or the Department of Health Bureau of Tur- Tuberculosis Control. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what people did there. Right. And I think there's so many offices like that where it's just like paperwork yeah. and stuff. And it's so. And watching the clock, basically. And talking about television of the previous night. Right, water. That's the water cooler thing they talk about. Yeah, this this was, I've never seen it like that before. This was very serious. So now they're back there talking about Sullivan and Son. Maybe. I hope so. Yeah, so we can make some more of them. So okay, but we're getting to that. Right. So you um okay so you thought I, they have fun at Red Bull. I want to do. I want to have fun. Yeah, and I, I thought of, like, okay, where are some places I could live? That would be cool, and decided it was time for good good weather, good times. Yeah. So came out to California, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to get, in like, uh, PA jobs mm-hmm. on TV shows. So I started so doing your uncle is a producer. Yes. Who I met. Oh, Because oh, yeah, I was right. friends with this girl briefly who was his assistant, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, At some point. No, I think she still is. Oh, she, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know those, like, crazy AA friendships that are, like, you realize, no, this is not going to happen after sure, all. Sure. Um, I think it happens more to girls. But, yeah, your your um, uncle is not only, like, terribly successful and charming, but kind of hot, too. Go on. He's a very fit man. He's, yeah. in, he's in really good shape. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hearts, so. Oh, and, and, yeah, and I've actually been to his house because oh, yeah. she was house-sitting. That's, that's a great house. Yeah. So I have I have an uncle who is not Kevin Bacon. Yes. But he's he's just a, he's a behind the scenes producer of television shows. Yes. And at that time it was it was never like oh Uncle Scott in L A is going to give me a career. Yeah. Like he he was doing okay but not too many like high profile things. Yeah. But it was enough for it was like okay I can get you in the door. But yeah. You just gotta bust your butt. Yeah. And so that's what I did. That's cool. I had relatives who were in the business, and they were like, sorry. Because I, I really wanted in. They were yeah. just like, yeah, no, can't help you. Um, Larry David, you could have got on Seinfeld. I know. Larry, why didn't you help me? I do have a relative named Larry David. He's like my dad's second cousin. He sells used cars. It's, and I tried to tell Larry David. I saw him at an event. tried yeah. to share this funny anecdote with him, and he was... I did share it with him. He was so uninterested that uh, it could have been an episode. I was at breakfast once with former After Party Chat guest Lewis House. Oh, yes. And okay. we saw Kevin Bacon at the restaurant <laughs> where we were a few tables over. And he and I were both, Kevin, that is, and yeah. I were both eating bacon at the same time. <laughs> and uh, it was like the greatest moment of my life. But you didn't say something to him. I didn't need to. I yeah. feel like we both like in our he hearts. Knew. He knew. knew. Yeah. Um, wait, Lewis House. How do you know Lewis House? Through podcasting yeah. world. What a great guy. Yeah, I'm ca- yeah, great I, for the first time this last week, I listened to Tony Robbins. I, I never had before. And I was like, Lewis House is the new Tony Robbins. I said that to him. And in fact, I've said that on this podcast, but I didn't really know for sure. Because I never listened to t- in, Tony yeah, Robbins. Yeah, it was in theory. Yeah. But um, 
But yeah, I think he's incredibly inspiring. In fact, I went on his webinar last week, and for two hours I listened to how to build a webinar. Yeah, he's good at that. He's really good at that. Okay, so um, so you, I, I got very sidetracked. Oh, yeah, here you are in Hollywood, making your way, but still a drunk. Oh, oh, it really took off when I got here. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, like, I had built some consequences, like, throughout college, and, like, fall asleep at the wheel after the stimulants wore off and narrowly getting into a head-on collision. What stimulants were you doing? What, what I used to do was go to clubs in New York mm-hmm. with some friends of mine and listen to whatever house or techno DJs we liked mm-hmm. until the club would close at like 8 or 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then drive back to Albany, mm-hmm. which is two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a, not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but we did that a lot. So what were you doing? What drugs? Ecstasy? I think that night all I did was... I don't think I, I don't even think I did ecstasy that night. I mean, I did plenty of ecstasy, but I think that night it might have just been I was just like drinking and, mm-hmm. and taking like prescription Ritalin or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And and then you know, like six p.m. the next night, uh, I was driving by myself and just oh, because you didn't sleep in between. No, no, no. Right. Yeah, because I didn't sleep and because I'd exerted quite a bit of energy mm-hmm. with. Driving 150 miles, being out in a club and drinking, yeah. and so I wasn't I wasn't drunk or anything, but it just it had all wore off and I just passed out. Right, um, that's that's um, a scary story. I remember once being so tired that I was like nodding off, and I was like, I should pull over and get coffee, and I didn't. I didn't even realize it. I was like mm-hmm. I was like half a mile from my house. Yeah, and I, and you got in a collision. I did not. No. Oh, oh, yes. No, I swerved across the other lane of traffic. Ah! Yeah, and there was a there was like a hill. Uh huh. And I could have like rolled the car, but no, then I was just like, oh, what the fuck? And then I slammed on the brakes on the other side of the of the road, and these cars stopped ah! to be like, hey, are you okay? What's yeah. going on? And I was like so scared that yeah. I was going to get in trouble, and so I just got in my car and sped away. Yeah. Good Samaritans. Yeah. He's sorry. Yeah. sorry. Well, thanks, guys, for checking on me. And so then you are here, and the drinking is going off. Oh, that's when I got really good. Okay, yeah. That's when I wasn't around friends or family, no accountability. I got to create a circle of new friends mm-hmm. who partied the way I aspired to. Yeah. But all of a sudden, like, I'm living in Hollywood. I can, like, walk to bars, clubs, like, go to places... I want to go, mm-hmm. and it's way more fun than Albany, and the weather's better, mm-hmm. and and so that it really took off. I mean, I was working on a lot of TV shows, like twelve hours a day, mm-hmm. but I would still go out mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, so then, and then what happened? Like, how did it all come crashing down? Went great, Anna. Went, yeah, that's why you're here. Yeah, went, about it. Yeah, it went great. Uh, it took three and a half years of being in LA. Before my ass was kicked so bad that sobriety seemed like a good idea. And I was never someone who knew about sobriety. Like, I I mean, I intellectually knew what it was, but I did not have any sober friends, or there was never, like, a and sober yet, uncle. And yet, you were working for a sober man. It got Yeah, I got to where I was working for great TV writer David Milch. Who is open about it, so we're yeah. not outing anybody. Yeah, yeah, no, he's... 
he's open about it and he's open about winning Emmys on heroin and and things like that. How long has he been sober? How long had he been sober when you were working for him? I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. And so you, he said, I, I remember this part of the story. So he said something to you. Well, I, ha- I had gotten to a point where like the party was over and I did not know what the hell was wrong with yeah. my life. I was depressed. Yeah. I, I was anxious. I did not like anyone I hung out with. The people who I actually liked didn't want to spend any time with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have any money. I put everything on credit cards and a lot of like bar tabs that I didn't really remember how they got that high. Right. Because I was, I was, I was a big timer. I bought people drinks. Yeah. Even, even though you didn't even like them. No, no, it just seemed like a good idea. And but yet you had this job, so where it's so you, but you were spending it all. Well, I was a writer's assistant. Yeah, then you don't get tons of money for that. I was doing okay, but you but were living I, large, though. I was living larger than I should have been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I lived in a studio apartment, so it wasn't super large, but it was large enough that I didn't didn't save anything and spend it all on stupid trips and right. alcohol and drugs and that sort of thing. But I, I got to a point where uh, I just I just hated everything. I didn't know what the problem was. My stomach wasn't doing well, so yeah. I would drink and then like immediately get bloated and just hear it gurgle and feel weird. Okay, okay, no, no, yeah. too much for me. That's all. That's okay. Yeah. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. And I was I was just like questioning life, like. How how do things? Why do things feel this bad? Like why? How do things get this way? Right. And then, alcohol was supposed to fix it, and it just wasn't helping anymore. Yeah. Like I would drink, and I would just get like a headache and bloated. Yeah. Like I wouldn't it wouldn't let me like feel good. Do you believe that it's sort of you know the brain chemistry, body chemistry, or whatever? You get to a certain point where alcohol and drugs sort of turn on you. You've maxed out. Everybody's place is different. I think so, but also I'm a wuss. Like I drank with people and used the people who hit it harder than I did. Mm-hmm. It just affected me different, and it took me down where maybe they're still drinking. When you say took you down and affected you differently, what do you mean? For example, like my stomach. Okay. Like my stomach was rejecting the way I like to drink. Right. And I, that did not happen to everybody else, even if they drank more. What about the obsession? Were you obsessed with it? Yeah, yeah. Like I, like if I, like I could go to work without drinking, but I was I was always like hungover. Maybe I'd take a pill of something here and there, mm-hmm. or I was just fixating all day on like, hey, who wants to go to happy hour mm-hmm. after work or whatever it was. Like I, I was, always hated happy hour, by the way. I, I did too, but it was like a, it was a good way for me to. Like you, like you know how when you were like going liquor shopping, you kind of felt good. Um, you ever get that? I was a Coke person. I I mean I drink beer weirdly. Well, you know how you're going to the dealer. And oh you God! Start feeling the, good. The anticipation. Euphoric anticipation. Yeah, I would I would have that talking about happy hour. Oh yeah yeah okay. So I didn't actually like happy hour. Yeah. But it was a way to spend the day, not in the moment. Oh, and, I'm so and, glad you brought that up. Yeah, and in the next drink. I'm glad you brought this up because I think about this. I feel that euphoric anticipation and euphoric recall were actually more fun than, at first, like in high school and college, than the actual partying. Because it's perfect. 
Absolutely, it's all fantasy and re- yeah. and you know reflection. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're fantasy-driven uh, people. Yes, I find. Yes, I find that to be true as well. So, but I got to a point where I, I just I tried to tried to drink and use to where the the goal was to hurt myself. What do you mean? A half-assed suicide attempt. Really? Yeah. What What do you mean? What did you do? I I drank and I used a lot of I had, I had like all these different drugs uh-huh. that didn't really go well together. Like what? Uh, what? Pro, uh, Special K. Ugh, I hate that. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of that. I was a got to be a bit of a specialist. I went into era. a K hole. I accidentally did it thinking it was Coke and had I, re- party. I read that in your book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? In the book, it's it's a little um, embellished because I didn't go to the hospital. But, oh. yeah. Go by Party Girl if you're listening. But when I read Party Girl, I, like, started cheering at, at that part. I'm like, oh, because you're like, yeah. Special K. Shout out to Special K. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was, like, K, Ecstasy, Coke, Weed, maybe more. I don't know. You don't mixed recall. those things. Yeah. Okay. As much like as much as I could with a lot of alcohol to to try and hurt myself. But so you were very depressed. Let's assume. Yeah, I was very depressed. And so, and were you on any antidepressants? Were you no. trying to treat it? You didn't go to therapy. Nothing. Okay. No. And I, I had punched a bus stop. Okay. Because I just couldn't control like my emotions. Okay. And so I was like walking home from a bar. And I just. Just was so frustrated with life. I just punched this bus stop. Okay. And my hand immediately like crumbled. Okay. And as a writer's assistant who had to type, I was like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna be out of a job now." And that was like the only thing I really felt like I had going for me. Yeah. And so at that moment, it was just I was like, "All right, let's let's hurt yourself, buddy." That night of the punching of the bus yeah. stop. Yeah. Uh huh. Because it was. It was plastic, and it busted your, like, you got blood? Yeah, it was, like, hard plastic. Did you go to the hospital? Not immediately, like, two days later. Oh, But my hand swelled up like It was like a Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, God, that's disgusting. Yeah. And so in those two days, is that when you, before you went to the hospital, that you said, this, fuck this, I'm ending it? Yeah, yeah. And then they sent a co-worker to come find me. Because you were passed out. Yeah, and I was like... Naked on my apartment floor, what looked like a crime scene. Well, oh, and why was there blood everywhere? Well, not not not, a crime not scene. that kind of crime scene. Like somebody had like been just sketchy, right? You know, just bottles everywhere and garbage and right drug stuff. Right, and so the coworker came and got you. They didn't know why. They were just like, "Where is he?" Yeah, and he discovered this. Yeah, and then. I went to some some like doctors. I went to some like really crappy doctor's office mm-hmm. who had like an X-ray tech there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, maybe I won't have to go to the hospital. And then I like waited around all day and didn't get an X-ray. And then I tried to go to work mm-hmm. the next day on the day that October 10th, 2007, mm-hmm. which would be my first day of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the first time like I had. A conversation about my drinking that was not somebody yelling at me mm-hmm. it was me trying to lie to my boss mm-hmm. and him saying this is all bullshit right mm-hmm. and me saying yeah but I didn't like I did not plan on that mm-hmm. it's just what came out of my mouth 
Had people yelled at you about your drinking before? Like, yeah. girlfriends? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, uh... Or people have just kind of yelled at me in general. Mm-hmm. Like, like, stop screwing around, or uh, pay attention, or... You know, you're a different person when you drink, mm-hmm. so how about you don't drink so much, or... It, well, because when you said you punched a bus stop, you would strike me as, like, one of the least angry people I've ever encountered. Thank you. So, I, I think so, too. Yeah. So, I think it's... So, that was your... That's what drinking brought out in you? Yeah. Ever? Oh, I, yeah. I got angry. Like, especially in my last year of drinking. Like, I... I was... I've seen this girl, and we would just, like, yell at each other. Mm-hmm. And or I wasn't... It was no like violence, right? But I had never had a relationship where like I was a yeller, mm-hmm. and like that's just where I was mm-hmm. at, at that time. And it sucked, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to change anything mm-hmm. until my boss said, uh, "Maybe you might want to look at your drinking issue." And so, did you go to a meeting that day? Uh, no, I went to the I went to the hospital mm-hmm. the, after that to get some real X-rays mm-hmm. and take care of my hand. Mm-hmm. And then and then I kind of detoxed in my bed mm-hmm. by myself for like two days, just like sweating, just sweating and gross and just like praying my butt off. Re- had you prayed before? Not really. So what like, were you? What? How did you? You were just like, ah, I can't deal. God help me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I was like, I need help. Yeah. And what happened? What happened after admitting to my boss that I had a problem mm-hmm. was I felt like like the jig was up. Right. Like this this life that at some point turned into like a false life mm-hmm. was was over. Like I had a chance to like find out who I was or like go back to the guy who I used to be mm-hmm. and, and and in that I didn't know how to do that but but I was open to suggestion mm-hmm. and because I related to to his story and you know I trusted him and and he's like you know why don't you go check out check out the rooms mm-hmm. and so so that's what I did and I didn't, I didn't go to rehab, mm-hmm. but because I was working in a place where I had to be accountable for my sobriety, because we worked pretty much six days a week, I would be at work all day and then go be with sober people at night. And that was my life for, for a long time, but especially at the beginning, it was almost like I had like the same structure they give you at a sober living mm-hmm. or something, or like outpatient, mm-hmm. except then I... Uh, would go home to my to my former drug den, right? Which I then I threw away a lot of crap. Yeah, yeah. So you go to your first meeting. How did you even find your first meeting? Uh, the internet. Okay, so you look online. Um, like most people, I'm assuming going. This is not what I want to be doing right now. Fuck this. But I'm going to do it anyway. I, I just yeah, but like if he, if he had said to me. If he had given me some other like option of like, here's a way to take care of yourself, I would have done that. Right. And so I was I was kind of on autopilot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he said I'll fire you if I have to, but I'll give you a chance to get it together. So I I was open to that. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, yeah. And so it wasn't a way to keep my job. It was it, it occurred to me in that moment that maybe I should live, mm-hmm. and maybe I should. Maybe if I drank, I'd kill myself either by accidentally or on purpose. Mm-hmm. So 
I was like, so that that was like, mo- I was afraid. It was mm-hmm. like good motivation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I relate to that. So you go to your first meeting, which I'm. We don't need to get specific, but were you just like immediately like, oh, I'm Caleb and I'm an alcoholic? No, no, I was not ready to say to anyone that mm-hmm. I was an alcoholic because mm-hmm. I was like, well, I drink too much. Mm-hmm. I have other issues too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I eat too many carbs. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I'm depressed. Like I felt like there was a lot of issues. I was like, maybe my issue is not alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that I drink because of something else. Like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find a way out of not having to put that label on me. Mm-hmm. And then after meeting other people in recovery and hearing different things, I was like, oh, I just didn't know what alcoholism was. Right. Like a lot of people, I was like, oh, I, I just thought you had to be the guy in the street corner with the brown paper bag. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been that guy on occasion. Like, not homeless, but would have like a, a, a paper bag. like a flask or something yeah I like a weird place where people are like why are you drinking but that is interesting that you had that perception given the fact that your very successful boss was sober yeah but he was also a guy who used needles right so, it's so different yeah so in my head it was like yeah okay well, I had a crazy story yeah yeah so but you you met people because there you were hanging out with them at night so you befriended people yeah really quickly mm-hmm. and especially especially men mm-hmm. and, and that was that was exactly what I needed you know, do guys have those like friendships and they're like oh my god you're so my new sober friend and then you realize they're nuts uh, yeah it's different yeah but it's not with that same passion yeah like that you just have in your voice talking oh yeah oh my god you're my new best friend yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't say it like that it's like we should like hang out we'll do <laughs> stuff and so, so you started doing that, and you and you were working as Milch, Milch's assistant. That's not an easy uh, thing to say. Sorry, Milch's doesn't sound right. Um, and you were writing for LAist. Well, I had gotten. I was about. I was about a year sober, mm-hmm. and I had done a lot in recovery, and I had really turned things around. I had went back to New York and we shot a pilot there. Mm-hmm. And so I was in New York for almost two months for summer. And that was like the biggest trial of my sobriety because I had to like take all these tools and things that I had learned and then apply them in a place where I had been especially crazy. Yeah. And it worked. Mm-hmm. And it, it was shortly after that when I got back to LA where I was like, I think I can like do stuff with my life Mm -hmm. and that and as someone who wanted to be a television writer who was a writer's assistant and this happens to a lot of people who become writer's assistants like it's hard to go home and write a script at night because you're in scripts all day long and Mm -hmm. it's like that it it, it takes so much discipline and the brain just kind of rebels against Mm -hmm. it almost so that's when I was like uh how about I try and find some other forms of writing or creative outlets? Mm-hmm. So it was in that like two year period where I did some like sketch comedy stuff, some improv, podcasting, sports writing. Oh, but so did you go to UCB and take classes? Yeah, I took some classes, mm-hmm. and that and and it, and it was like this great kind of sober experience where it's like I didn't know I could do all this stuff. Yeah, like I had time, mm-hmm. but I was also open to living my life Mm -hmm. and not just being in bars and clubs and 
in that in that whole thing, which I thought was the, the greatest thing ever at one point. Yeah. But no more. And you became, I wouldn't say obsessive, but you became like really interested in like Dr. Drew and Jen Jimenez. I didn't mean to call it obsessive, but that was like a passion of yours and that whole uh, the, the sober media. Yeah. Recovery media. Or whatever. Well, I had, I had been a Loveline fan for a long time. Okay. And so then when I got sober, that's when Celebrity Rehab came out mm-hmm. that same fall. Mm-hmm. And so I got to like watch people on television having a similar experience when I was new in recovery and that really resonated with me Mm -hmm. and so I had a and I think this was this was like a lot this was a lot ego but I was like you know I bet if I interviewed people who I think are cool we could become friends right right I do that all the time yeah and I and so that was like a a way to do work I thought was interesting but also a ticket into some to something more. Did you want to be my friend? I did. did it worked. I, here we are. Yeah. yeah, I'm helping you with your audio. I mean, we're friends. The first time I heard you on Dr. Drew's radio show, I was like, I don't know who Anna David is, but she is cool. Awesome. That's all I ever want to hear. Because you you heard it on that AM show. Because yeah. I've barely been on Love Line. Yeah, short-lived AM show. That was awesome. Yeah. That was. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. It was cool because I got to go to the set of Celebrity Rehab to, to do it, and then he's like, you want to see the set? And we walk in, and he introduced me. This is my friend, Anna David, and I was like, oh my God, he called me his friend. Yeah. So you just had dinner with him and his lovely wife, Susan. I, I did, yeah. How did that come about? Uh, just because we're BFFs. Yeah, you know? why not? Yeah. Let me, I'll answer, I'll answer that in a second, but okay. for anyone who's read the the AA book mm-hmm. um, you so the preface who was written by Dr. Silkworth yes who was a non-medical or who was a medical non-alcoholic yes like professional in that field at the time and I, I think I think I think I remember you referring to Dr. Drew as like yeah the, the, doc- the Dr. Silkworth of today the modern day yeah, yeah I, I think that I, th- I think you're right yeah and I just thought that was I always thought that was so cool but to have anyone who's not from the world of recovery as an alcoholic or addict yeah. to to trumpet the horn mm-hmm. of twelve step recovery. Yeah, I I think is the greatest thing. I know. I I totally agree. It is it is because you. I always think you can't get it unless you're an alcoholic or um, you know you just you need to go through it. And even our lovely parents who try so hard really can't get it. And loving friends, I have a couple friends who I actually think do get it. But, but that he seems to understand it so well. I mean, I think he's worked in the field for a long time. Other people have, too. And yeah. Maybe they don't get it as yeah. well as he does. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to him about that. I mean, just about how sad it is that medical schools, you know, don't focus on it at all. Yeah. And, you know, that I went to many doctors who... I went to a psychiatrist who is a quote-unquote specialist now. He... he either owns or is on staff at an eating disorder clinic here in LA and I went to him told him I did coke he made me go tell uh, my other therapist which I was not legal I didn't know that and then said to me I was getting a lot of Ambien off of him and lying all the time (laughs) and he he gave me enough Ambien to kill myself cut off my antidepressants and said I can't see you anymore I think you know why never said rehab never said a that's that's what a a quote-unquote addiction specialist did um, well, good times. Good times, yeah. real fun. And so, okay, and so you dream come true. You you get to meet Dr. Drew. You get to do all of this stuff. And you were really you were really somebody who was 
let, trying to let the world know about what this was like, and nobody, lots of sober people are writers, and they weren't out there doing that. Well, I thought it was cool just being in L.A., like, not the, not so much like the celebrities you bump into in different recovery spaces, but it's just, that there's just so many interesting people doing cool things in yeah. the world. And so, and I thought with, as a way of doing different types of journalism, like, I could could spotlight some of those people mm -hmm. and that was that was a really fun thing for me to do for a while mm -hmm. and and throughout throughout that time like I uh I had like interviewed some people and started doing podcasts with like people who are in the Dr. Drew world mm -hmm. so I met him a few times here and there mm -hmm. but then uh his wife has a podcast I know about astrology right about psychics about psychics yeah, yeah I got I had two psychic readings on her show on her show and that's he co-hosted with her that's amazing yeah and they invited me out to dinner afterwards that is so cute and it was and it was, it was, it was uh, me the Dr. Drew's wife and uh, a psychic <laughs> at dinner did yeah. you learn a lot about yourself it was freaky like I had never had a psychic reading before mm -hmm. But the there's two psychics, mm -hmm. and the first one was talking about stuff that related to my life in a way that if uh, she had heard my phone calls with friends, like she could have picked up on stuff. Oh my god! And I don't think she did pick up on. I don't think she's tapping my phones. Right. But it was could be like a Rupert Murdoch scandal. That's her secret. That's the secret. Um, I have a great tarot card reader that I know. I should try to get her on that podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's cool. amazing. She's sober. The podcast um, is called Calling Out with Susan Pinsky. Oh, that's amazing. And it's funny because she, Susan's way into the psychic thing yeah. and has been for a while. And Dr. True is the man of science yeah. that we all know. Yeah. And he still finds it really interesting. Yeah. And he... He was trying to explain to me, like scientifically, how what he thinks goes on. Yeah, and I, it was just very—it was a very cool experience. Yeah, I, I'm going on his podcast next week, actually. Oh, great! I mean, listeners, this is all out of order because this will—I have no idea of the order when this is all airing. But I'm going with Mike Carano. Speaking oh, cool. of friends of Dr. Drew's show, yeah, um, who's who's a fascinating guy. I met him because he came on this podcast. Drew loves Mike. Yeah, but they truly are BFFs and go yeah. to Disneyland together and like <laughs> all the time. Um, I don't get the Disneyland thing. For, no, for, no, for anyone. I know I don't get it either. I'm so glad you said that. What yeah. What are people so into about that as adults? Like for people who live here, everyone knows someone who has like a season pass. Or what about that restaurant that people are so into? Oh, Club Thirty Three. <laughs> Like, no, seriously, guys, it's the best restaurant. Why would I want to go to a restaurant at Disneyland? It, but it yeah. is the hardest to get into restaurant in Los Angeles, apparently. But it's not in Los Angeles. It's in Anaheim. Yeah, so yeah. You have to get there and then park five miles away for 25 bucks. Yeah, not down. I, I don't get it. Let's not go to Disneyland together one day. That'd be awesome. Um, so, okay, and so then, so you, your podcast, I want to talk a little bit about that. Okay. You interview men about, like... Uh, inspiring men? Yeah, real life experiences. Mm -hmm. So it, what had helped me the most and continues to help me the most throughout sobriety is the, the, not the, not always the direct guidance, but just the good, honest conversations about real issues with other guys. And if it's not, if somebody's telling me about something that's not related to my own experience, 
I still find a lot I can take away from it. Mm -hmm. And it just encourages me to be be transparent and not be a jerk and be spiritual and all those stuff. And so I, I thought there was some real magic there. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to make a podcast out of it. And so it's one-on-one -on -one conversations where sometimes it'll be someone talking about something kind of ordinary, like being a single dad or mm -hmm. as outrageous as being kidnapped or cancer or sobriety or things like that. You're James Elroy. When, I guess you've had him on twice, yeah. right? I only heard the first one. First Holy one's the best one. Holy shit, yeah. was that good. I just, uh, like... Uh, how do you know him? Is it through Milch? I wondered. No, no. We have some mutual friends. Uh-huh. And we... And he, yeah. And we just hit it off. Yeah. And we, like, go out to eat once a week, and... So, so it's like Carano and Drew, you and Elroy. Yeah, we went to a soul food restaurant in South Central on Saturday night. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really cool. I met him once, and he was so not interested in being my best friend. I would say it was a little bit like meeting Larry David in terms of the enthusiasm on his part. Okay. Fine. Fine. And yet he's very into the ladies, as I heard on your uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Which he talked extensively about. Um, yeah, so good. Yeah, that's, that's, that was one of my... And that's also an interesting thing, because having a podcast... Like, I don't always want to ask everyone to do it, because I because my instinct is to ask everyone to do it. Yeah. That, with him, I, like, I, had, I had to explain to him what a podcast was. He, that was the only podcast, it's the only one he's ever done. Yeah, like, he's appeared on radio that they've archived a podcast and things like that, but yeah, that was, and I think still is, the yeah. only actual Because it was podcast. fairly recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, your podcast is great, and we've had some crossover. Yeah. Who have we both had? Um, uh, Lewis Howes, Alonzo Bowden. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You still, I want you to get Greg Barrett, who's the best uh, ever. He's been traveling so much. I know. He, yeah, he and I have yeah. uh, meant to do a podcast yeah. for years. Yeah. Um, so, and, and so right now you're writing on Sullivan and Son, and yeah. so you became a real writer, not a writer's assistant. Yeah, yeah, it all happened. Like, mm -hmm. and it was it was so much about stuff I learned in recovery, and then sure I got better because I wasn't drinking and using, but I also grew up, mm -hmm. and I'm still growing up. But I got to like learn the concept of trying to put off short term. Uh, like feeling good in the short term so I could feel good in the long term mm -hmm. and that was like okay I gotta I'm gonna write this article and then when it finally goes out and people see it I'll be happy but while I'm writing it I'm not gonna feel as good I just have to get to that point right where can where can get out and uh, but so in terms of like writing the pilot that you had to write the, the writing samples that you had to do yeah um and I'm writing a pilot right now. I'm outlining it. It's fucking hard. It's so hard. It's so, so hard. hard. And just even getting the point, whatever. I admire it a lot because I don't know that I can do it. We'll see. It's hard. Yeah. yeah I mean, you can. You can do it. You're, you're an excellent writer. I thank you. I have tried repeatedly. Never, like right now I'm taking a class. I mean, the class is almost over and I've never actually had the humility to do that because I'm an asshole and I'm like, a writing class. Are you kidding me? I teach writing classes. But, but so I've gone in not knowing what I'm doing, and then it hasn't gone very far. Right, right. So that's yeah, you get tired of it, and you're like, eh, screw this. Well, yeah, nobody responded. I'll go write another best-selling book. Yeah, please. Uh, I'm never doing that again. You don't, you don't, you're not delusional enough to think you want to write a book, are you? 
Only with Tom Sizemore. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, I... Don't do it. Like, I never... I don't know if it's like a low self-esteem thing or just... How about it's a high self-esteem thing? Well, no. For me, I never really thought I could do much. Yeah. It, but it was also because I just didn't really think about my future. Yeah. Like, when people say, like, what do you want to do? And you grow up, I was like, I don't know, something fun. Yeah. Like, I just didn't have a sense of, like, where I was going to fit in the world. And so it's only been, in, like, recently where I'm like, oh, I, I could write a book. I don't know if I want to, but it just never occurred to me that I could. I so relate to that. And I, and I do think that, that that has to do with being an addict, that I had no idea what I wanted to do. And again, I pictured myself being sort of glamorous in, in like a suit, which is interesting because I've never a owned suit. one, yeah. and in an office and wearing heels and like, you know, maybe ordering some people around, but I had no idea beyond that what it would be. That, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That, that was me, except that no heels. <laughs> and so for me writing a book it completely was a one day at a time thing you know I was like yeah I want to write a book I want to write a book and then I'm like I can't write a book and then I realized oh I could write one day at a time and you know if you write three pages a day I'm no mathematician but in less than a year you have a book sure but don't do it is all I can say if I can help anybody in this world forget what I have to say about recovery let me tell you about recovery from trying <laughs> yeah. to write books is live for a living well thank you yeah uh, it's working out for my friend James Elroy. Okay, yeah, it's true. Y you know, when you're talking about talent at that level... Um, a little different. Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking, I was just thinking that today. Um, I mean, okay, I'm going off on a tiny tangent, but about how everybody gets bad when they get successful, that, that it's impossible not to lose that somehow. And that's why I'm so obsessed with Beyonce and Jay-Z, because <laughs> they get better every year. I'm like... How do you not lose touch with what made you so good when the accolades that come along with success make you forget how to access that? And, and I was thinking that it's only true, like writers like Philip Roth and Elmer is a good example, when they seem really fucking tortured. That, so the torture, I have never met Elroy. I've barely read Elroy, but I'm, so I'm just sort of, but like the, that is the torture keeps you in touch. And with Jay-Z and Beyonce, they don't seem tortured at all. That's why it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely different. Yeah. What's, uh, what's something that I've noticed about some really successful writers that I've worked with in television is, this is sort of a tangent off your tangent. Yeah, but, go ahead. But they're able to separate their sense of self from the materials. Uh -huh. Like when we're working on a script, it's not my script or our script, it's the script. Right. Like the script is not me. And... And that is like such, like the perfect way to be. I think for an alcoholic mm -hmm. about about a creative work. Mm -hmm. It's like the the project's a project. I'm just the one doing it. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that would be very challenging. It's, oh, it's the hardest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm, I've been slightly panic attacking this whole time that somehow this didn't record after all of our recording experiences and I'm not just saying this this has been one of the best conversations I've had on this podcast wow thank you do you feel good about it? I feel good yeah okay well I didn't mean to do that abrupt sign off but we really should end because the sound is going to cut out <laughs> because we've been talking a long time and because you know why it, all good things must come to an end is the cliche and the cliche exists because it's true True. And the moral of the story is if you get sober, you can work in a sitcom bar. You can. Like I do. I'm jealous, but I but I feel less jealous because of hearing how industrious you were this whole time. 
And sorry, weird note to end on. Let's talk about recovery. Uh, stay sober. How long are you sober? It will be seven years, October the 10th. Nice, okay. Yeah. So that was Caleb Bacon here on After Party Pod. Podcaster, writer, go-getter. Uh, I hope you loved him. I think you did go check out his podcast, Man School. And don't forget about Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod to support the show and get a free download. Yeah, and go review us on iTunes because I'll love you forever. Thank you.